Good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the first letter of Peter this morning? We're going to read from chapter 2, verses 12 to 25. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin, and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. May God add understanding to his word this morning. So I said, can I do this? I'd like to continue in First Peter. And he said, sure. And then I read what I got myself into. <laughs> Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution and government. And I feel so inadequate to preach this um, to you right now because of the situation we're in, because of the world that we find ourselves in. Um, But God is gracious, and his word uh, is good. So I am here, uh, and I'm going to talk about submitting to our government. Uh, I don't look like a rebel. I don't have the face tattoos or the Harley. Uh, Not that that those are good symbols or bad symbols. Um, Not that we need to be, to show ourselves as rebels. Uh, but I shake my fist at God a lot. Uh, and it is by his grace that, that he says, I love you, don't do that. That's not good for you. I shake my fist at the government a lot. And it is by his grace that um, I'm learning what it means to submit. Submission is a good thing. Let's pray. we got to start somewhere. Let's pray. Father God, 
almighty God, creator of time, creator of all that there is. You have called the people to yourself. And Lord, as those called, we are humble. Because we're not just called to worship you, though that is why we are called. But we also are priests, representatives of you in this world. We're not representatives of ourselves, but we have a much higher calling to honor you, to give you glory. And so, Father, as we search your scriptures, reveal to us what that means. Because sometimes it's just not easy. But you are good. You are all-powerful. Your will will not be frustrated. And Lord, we want to submit to you in all things. Amen. So to this point, we have been walking exegetically through 1 Peter. We've looked at Christ being our hope and our rock. And I was offered a one meter by one meter by one meter rock after that message last week uh, as a reminder. Come and pick this up and you can have it. Uh, the fellow said, God is our rock and Jesus is God. We've seen that in his gospel that Jesus is sweet and good to those whom he is saving. We've seen Peter use the identity language of the Jewish people in referring to the Gentile converts who this letter was written to, calling them a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for God's own possession, acknowledging the incredible elevation that the believer receives in Christ. We've also seen how very secure is the one who is kept by Christ. Peter has called them, in his letter, exiles, displaced people, affirming that because of their allegiance to Christ, they will no longer fit in their society. This will lead to trials and unjust suffering for Christ's glory. To this, Peter speaks of the Christian duty to put off all former evil practices and put on instead holiness, fear of God, and the keeping of faithful community with fellow Christians. Which brings us now in his letter to how we are to display Christ in the public sphere. 1 Peter 2 verse 12 says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds 
and glorify God on the day of visitation. The next verse says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do, who do good. Peter begins this section with a shocking statement that Christ followers are to be subject to every human authority that is naturally placed over them, including the emperor and his governors. Now it is chaos. Excuse me. It is chaos if Christians don't obey the rules. It is chaos if we would just say we're above the law. And we have seen people that are ultra-rich. We have heard stories of the ultra-rich who just think they're above the law. Or people with lots of guns and armies who think they're above the law. And it is chaos when that happens. So Peter reminds us, you are not above the law. Do not consider yourselves above the law. More than any other, Christians are to stand out as exemplary citizens People who readily, and the word most accurately rendered here is subordinate themselves. Who readily subordinate themselves or place themselves under the authority of those who govern them. Now this is wild stuff. Because the emperor at the time when Peter wrote this was none other than Nero. Whose wickedness and cruelty is remembered even today. There have been a bad... A lot of bad guys in history, but we remember only a few of them, and one of them is Nero. Further, Peter would soon be martyred under Nero's unparalleled barbaric regime. This ought to give us pause. These are words lived out when Peter says, submit to the government even if it costs you your life. He did it. Why? Why should we do this? How could this possibly be better than revolution? That's tough. We are to do this primarily because human governments are set in place by God. We find Paul's parallel to Peter in this. We're going to look at Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. That's how supreme God is. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Why submit? Because there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that do exist have been instituted by God. That's heavy. That means that while God does not ordain evil, like he does not order evil, he has ordained or set in place the perpetrators of institutional evil across history. If there is ever a pronouncement of God's sovereignty in the midst of human weakness, sorry, wickedness, it's in these very verses that say God has instituted every governing authority. I mean, his sovereign power of all things is replete in scripture, but we need not search the Bible very deeply before we see that while God is in total control, he allows human wickedness to persist with two important caveats. First, it is for a time. 
the unrighteousness of man will not be permitted forever. And second, it is for his glory. God will be glorified in the saving of his people and in the punishment of those who disobey. The next verse, Paul goes on to say, therefore, whoever resists the authority that rests or resides in what God has appointed, sorry, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Thank you, Josh. Those who resist will incur judgment. And that's human judgment and divine judgment. They're both there. So the Christian is to voluntarily place themselves under the government, A, because God has given all governments their authority, and B, because of Christ. The next verse in Peter, 1 Peter 2, 13, first part, A, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. For Christ's sake has become a byword or a swear. For Christ's sake has been corrupted by those looking for an excuse for why things happen the way they happen. But to the one who believes, for Christ's sake is the motivation for everything. We sleep and eat and work for Christ's sake. You and I sacrifice and proclaim and live generously for Christ's sake. We do good in the public sphere and in private for Christ's sake. And we petition God to work his will in our lives for Christ's sake. And for Christ's sake, we submit to government. This should take on a particular weight to you and I, knowing that Peter was writing in a time where noncompliance protest, disobedience, it all just meant certain death. And not just in front of the emperor. His little minions, the little people that like looked after towns, knowing that noncompliance would mean certain death by the big authorities and the little authorities in Peter's day, he's saying, submit to authority. So 2,000 years later, in a democratic land, we can't imagine such consequences for resistance, can we? So this perspective ought to heighten our public willingness as witnesses of Christ to conform or defy the government and not lessen it. I'm going to say that again. It might, it might be better the second time. Knowing that Peter wrote to people that would die if they rejected what their government said. That perspective should heighten our willingness to be witnesses to Christ, to conform or defy our government and not lessen our willingness to do that. And yes, there is a way to be subject to authority while not obeying it. Absolutely, there's a way. But we'll have to build to that. For now, we are to submit to our governing authorities because God has put them in place over us and as a public witness to Christ. For Christ's sake, for his glory, we comply with government. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14 then says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, that's God, to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. So government mitigates chaos. God is a God of authority and order, and he uses human governments to restrain evil, to maintain order. 
Two more things ought to be said here. First, Peter reminds his readers that the emperor was a human, which directly addresses the cultic emperor worship that was prevalent at the time. These are human institutions. He is not a deity. And second, that authority was in place to legitimately punish evil, both as deterrent and, a, and as a consequence, and for the praising of good. And this becomes especially important as a charge to be public in our good actions. The Christian should not hide away or leave society, but should work publicly within it as noteworthy citizens. One of the strongest examples of this is found in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, very famous for t-shirts and coffee mugs. Jeremiah 29, I'm going to start uh, at verse 1, but we'll catch up to that. These are words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem to the surviving, surviving elders of the exile and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I'll go down to four. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, remember Peter is also talking to exiles, they'll all be, the people he's talking to will all be thinking about this, because Israel was taken away into exile. So this is sent to all the exiles, whom I, God, have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And this is what, these words are what God tells the exiles to do. Verse 5, right? Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Wait a second, this is going to take a while, right? They're going to be there a while. Take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. What? And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Jumping down, verse 10. I don't think you have it. I, you didn't need it. <laughs> For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Those words are to people in a time, in a place that had no future and no hope. When you call on me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. For Christ's sake, in the place where you are found, do good publicly. 1 Peter 2.15 For this is the will of God, that by doing good publicly, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We are to be good. And the idea here is not just to be squeaky clean good. John Piper, when he reads uh, 
chapter 2, verse 12, says, May your conduct be so beautiful in the eyes of your unbelieving neighbors and rulers that they cannot speak badly of you. By your good reputation, you are to silence the ignorant and foolish. Want to know what God's will is for your life? Everybody does. Do good. It's an expansive word. Can you find the end of the command to do good? Never. Plant a tree, run for office, foster a child, pray with your neighbor, sit on a civic committee, share a sandwich, share your home. There's no end. A hundred years ago, when my grandfather came to Canada, uh, maybe maybe 10 years after that, so we're talking the 30s. Uh, he pioneered just west of here, and he said to his wife and children as they came, we will speak English, we will sing English hymns, we will be Canadian now. Because he, he understood that he was to do good where he was. And he sat on the school board, and my dad said often they would have the school teacher for the year stay with them. And that little house is across the field from us, and I don't know how or why they would have accommodated a school teacher for a year. But they did. He was about doing good, just simple civic good in his neighborhood. Where does this good come from? And I'm not just talking about Julius talking about you and I. Earlier in this letter, 1 Peter 1 said, it says that the joy that you have because of what Christ has done, past, like in your life past, is to be inexpressible and filled with glory. So your past, knowing what Christ has done, should be just filled with joy. And if that's not enough, verse 4 of chapter 1 says, look, Look to your future. Your hope is based on an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, which ought to give you even more joy, joy overflowing. Now, this joy that overflows is to cause you to do good, to return good for evil even, and that will make others take notice, be convicted, and seek to follow and glorify God too. The unbeliever is to see your life and say, my life leads me to want to fight back. Return evil for evil. Harbor bitterness. Be greedy. Whatever. But you, I see you repay good for bad. Why? And you can say it is for Christ's sake because he has redeemed my past and he gives me a hope for the future. That's how you and I can do good when people bad to us. Return good for bad. Verse 16 then says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as servants or slaves of God. It is so common these days to see Christians acting against this verse. Knowing that we are free has caused us to act with license, using spiritual freedom to disregard laws as an exercise in freedom. Much of it is done in secret because we don't really feel free to disobey. 
We don't want to get caught. I'm guilty of this. I am guilty of this. But my freedom should not be used to disobey, but to obey. Our salvation has made us free from the burden of fear of government, but it should be expressed in freedom to live under the government's authority. Perfect love drives out fear. We can walk in this world unafraid. That's 1 John 4, verse 18. Find comfort knowing that God will evaluate each one that he has placed in their position of power. With perfect knowledge and perfect justice, God will judge you and me and our government leaders. And we are to rest. That, we're to rest in that. God will be just. We're to put that in his hands, all of our questions about justice and our fears. So what is our foremost responsibility? 1 Peter 2, 16b, but live as servants of God. And the word is doulos or slave. Slave, servant. Same word here. So we are foremost slaves of God. And this is the crux of the whole passage. This is where we must be prayer-filled and humble and holy and seek God for just justice and for our own righteous discernment. We first serve God and then human institutions. We first serve God and then human institutions. We willingly, because of our freedom, subjugate ourselves under the authority of our government as long as our government does not demand us to break God's supreme laws or have us worship anything other than God himself. So here's the limitation. This is what you all are waiting to hear. I don't know if you'll be satisfied. If the government demands that we break God's law, then we must disobey the government, all the while still remaining under submission to the government's authority. That means the consequences. Therefore, being subject to our governments can simultaneously mean disobedience and submission. Put another way, for the Christian, having a posture of submission to authority can at the same time mean the Christian humbly does not comply with the law while still complying with the punishment for breaking the law. It's important to note here that we aren't to civilly disobey a government just because it's a poor or a bad one. We are only to disobey when a government calls on Christians to act against God's law because a government uses taxes badly is not a reason not to pay your taxes. Because a government mandates things that we don't like is not a reason to disobey. The action set down by scripture is to comply unless God's law is violated and then resist readily accepting the consequences. So now, in North America, we have had it too easy for too long. We don't really know when and how to practice civil disobedience for Christ's sake well. 
So you and I have many different, sorry. So you have many different Christians and Christian groups acting in so many different ways. We disobey the law because it doesn't feel good or fit with what we want to do, and I am totally guilty of this. But having studied this, I want to repent, and I want to submit to my governing authorities, even though, even to the laws that seem foolhardy and unwise, but that do not violate God's law. Now, to those laws that do stand against the God's law, I will disobey them while submitting to the consequences as they come. Now, secret church is a thing. It's a thing around the world where Christians have been forbidden to gather and as assembly is commanded in the Bible, Hebrews 10, 25, as well as the practice of hospitality, having people to your home, Romans 12, 13. And this is likely an area where we may, may need to prayerfully discern how to respond as a community and as individuals. The government hasn't said, don't worship God. I heard something very profound this week, though, that globally what we have seen is that this world has shown what we are, what they want us to worship. Uh, and it's, it's health, right? It's perfect health. That is the idol that the world wants to worship right now. And I think uh, that causes me, <laughs> causes me to think, wh what idol am I pursuing instead of God? Now, many preachers have used these scriptures, and I'm talking about 1 Peter 2.13 and Romans 13, toward a political end, uh, but I don't believe that the pulpit is a place for that, to publicly state my opinions on government or healthcare, masks or vaccines. These days, these are hot-button topics that these verses do speak to, but to advance my own agenda from the pulpit seems a violation of distrust. I will say this, though, that Christians should and ought to get together to talk through these things for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the church, and for the sake of our neighbors who need to know what God approves of and desires. You and I must prayerfully talk. What would the law of love have us do? Knowing that we are not above the law, what should we do? Submission to authority is both communal and individual, but all of our communal discussion must be guided by the brotherly love that Peter has extolled throughout his letter. You and, a, you and I may read our present situation very, very differently. We may see our obligations very differently, but brotherly love would have us respect and love each other in the church through these differences. A new command I give you, says Jesus in John 13, 34, that you love one another. And 35 says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Where we disagree, you and I, we need to love each other 
As we read last week from 1 Peter 2, verse 5, the Christian is a living stone arranged by God into God's own temple. We are not brought together by similar political ideologies, by social standing, by finances or hobbies, but we are fitted together by our allegiance to Christ as Lord and Savior. So when our hobbies and even our ideologies differ, we must make room for one another with love. Peter sums all this up in verse 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. But then, he goes on to give a parallel to free men submitting to the government by talking about how slaves are to obey their masters. 1 Peter 2.18, servants or slaves, it's the same word, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Do you want to know how to submit to the emperor like a slave submits to his master? And it doesn't matter whether your master is a good or gentle one or an unjust one, because you are a slave first to Christ. And because God the Father has ordered the government and its agencies, you are to submit, even if you are treated unjustly. Our society offers many ways the Christian can stand up and fight injustice on behalf of others. But it's Christ's own example that teaches us not to fight for our own rights. Engage the civil discourse Remind lawmakers of what God's law is. But when we endlessly fight for our own rights, we are not submitting in the way that we ought. Romans 2, 19 and 20. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary... If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will be heaping coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I think after this message, there's going to be lots of conversation necessary. We're going to need to pray personally about our motivations because so much of the rebellion that I hold inside me to fight is not righteous it's evil 1st Peter 2 19 and 20 for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it? You endure. But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It is good when you are disciplined for wrong. This is a good thing. Our world thinks it's so bad 
to be disciplined that we don't even punish our children anymore when they disobey. And if, if you don't discipline your children, I'm talking to parents in this congregation, if you don't discipline your children and teach them to obey the first time when you speak, and not the count to three time, when you teach your children to obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart, you are teaching them to one day obey God. This isn't about you, but you should discipline your children so that one day you will not, they will not have a problem obeying God. Okay, so our world thinks it's so bad to be disciplined that we won't punish our children when they disobey. And we get mad at cops when they write people tickets and we don't hold each other accountable anymore because it would be overstepping to correct a neighbor. But scripture teaches otherwise. Leviticus 19.17 says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Now the NIV uh, says it better. Other translations say this one better. They're a little more clear. They say, It is a loving thing when we rebuke a brother in their sin. And it's the hardest thing in the world to do. And it's the hardest thing in the world to accept a rebuke, even a loving correction from a friend. Right away, we want to defend ourselves, right? We want to throw it back. We want to reject. But it is a loving thing to rebuke a neighbor in their sin. And the verse after that is the one that Jesus references when he says there's, there's one greatest command. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.18 says love your neighbor as yourself. And part of that is in rebuking, showing when they're wrong. So I had to Google this. I was... I was trying to think of the statement that it takes a big man to admit when they need forgiveness. Or like, I couldn't think about it. So I, easy, right? I Googled. It takes a big man to admit, and then like all the things I'm doing, when he's wrong. Okay, that's what I want. It takes a big man to admit when he's wrong. And then I clicked it, and the next thing was, and it takes an even bigger man to give a giraffe a haircut. And I loved it. It takes a big man to admit when he's wrong. And it takes an even bigger man to give a giraffe a haircut. I wasn't sure if I was going to include that, but what I was looking for was it takes an even bigger man to show someone that they're wrong. Because it takes courage. It takes humility in that. And humility is to be our constant attitude. We ought to be comfortable in exercising the command to rebuke a friend and brother because we belong together. We are to uphold each other in admonition and in encouragement. 
Discipleship takes both. Part of church membership means that we entrust ourselves to the discipline of the elders and to the correction of each other. Now, here is the force behind all of this, and it's the gospel. This is the good news of Christ. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 24. I think I only gave him 23, so it won't catch all the way, but you got to listen. This is good. For to this you have been called. Suffer if you must, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Is there a more beautiful reason for your faith? Is there a more beautiful reason for your acts of righteousness and goodness in the world? Christ was free. But he chose to submit himself to earthly authority. Christ was sinless. But he chose to be labeled sinful. He was the truth, but he was lied about. He was due all glory, but was reviled. Having done good, he received only evil. And he entrusted himself to God's justice. It is for Christ's sake that we do good and obey our government. The final verse, verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus Christ was crucified that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He suffered that we might be healed and gathered together by the good shepherd. And that's for our good and his glory. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for Jesus Christ. His example that we would live like him. Even die like him. That your name might be glorified. Father, Jesus is more than an example, a role model, some good guy to listen to. Jesus is our savior and our Lord, and for that, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices in worship of you. 
teach us to submit first to you, then to the authorities that you have placed over us. Teach us to have conversations that glorify you because this is a complicated time. It is not a time for childish answers. Childlike rejection. But by your spirit, I pray we would come together, give you glory in this world, that our acts might be beautiful to those who look upon, that others might see your goodness and want to follow. Lord, we need you now. Guide us, I pray. Amen.